HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Eugenia Bone. Um, what is the worst mushroom pun that people try to use often? Fungi? Oh, uh, yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the fungi thing. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to take it out of puns and put it into prominence. Um, your newest book, Mycophilia? Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to make sure I said you it right it. because if it, I said baby. it wrong, maybe it's like necrophilia and this. There's too many philias out there. Yeah, but microphilia uh, is the study of fungi. Mycology, Mycology. is the study of fungi, yeah. and mycophilia it means fungus loving, and a mycophiliac is a fungus lover. And that you are. I am. Well, especially after this in-depth book. <laughs> yeah. um, Although it's like being married for a really long time, yeah. writing a book like that. <laughs> well, you were always actually a mushroom forager um, from your early days in New York. You grew up in Westchester? or I did. Yeah. I grew up in Westchester. My dad's an Italian. And, you know, Ital- well, some Italians are sporty, but our family uh, were not sporty. We, uh, we would forage for fun, for yeah. like family <laughs> fun you know, on holidays and stuff. So. Um, we'd look for all the different kinds of things to be found out and about, and one of them was mushrooms. So that's where I first got you know, turned on to it. Yeah. Where in Westchester did you forage? Well, my parents are still there in, in Westchester County in um, Katona, yeah. all right on the reservoir. So there was all this land that you weren't supposed to trespass on. It's just full of mushrooms. Those are the best places <laughs> to find them. Yeah. So at the earliest age, how old were you uh, in the woods picking mushrooms? 
Um, well, just a grade school girl, you know, pigtails age. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting. I, I had my when I wrote this book, and all my life, I thought that I had found this really gigantic morel at a time when my father was upset about something, and finding the morel had that that sort of miraculous moment where you know your your ambition and dream or whatever came true. And this is on a child scale. So yeah. <laughs> I found this huge morel under a, an apple tree to give to him. I thought would make him feel better. So I was at lunch with my parents uh, about a month ago or something, and they start telling this story about my brother having found this morale, which is really a kind of shock. But I'm beginning to realize that it's really easy to hold on to other people's memories and then eventually just (laughs) co-opt them totally. So um, the morale story in my book, bogus. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm going to vicariously live through it and someday tell it as my own. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you found this giant morel. Um, did you even like mushrooms or did you like the hunt? Well, it was the hunt as a child, but I was an eater. So yeah, yeah. I liked mushrooms. You know, my, the way that my father always would cook wild mushrooms, he liked to pick honey mushrooms, which some people don't. The honey mushroom is that humongous fungus in Oregon. It's this gigantic organism. Can I um, stop you there for a second? Mm-hmm. Humongous fungus. It seems like there are going to be a lot of puns and rhymes when oh, talking yeah, about I mushrooms. <laughs> that's like a that's that's like a local papers. Yeah. Thing, yeah. <laughs> that the humongous fungus is is a the largest living organism on the planet. Yeah. And it's 2,200 square acres square and at least 2,400 years old and it's living in Oregon. And it's a honey mushroom. So my dad used to like to eat honey mushrooms, which are saprophytes. They grow on dead and dying um, plants, you know, trees. And uh, what he would do is he'd cook them with, rat, with rabbit and brandy. That was his recipe for them. Yeah. So I suppose that's my earliest memory of eating mushrooms was with rabbits. So can we not gloss over that you said the largest living organism in the world <laughs> is a fungus? Yeah. 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 And mushrooms are a fungus. Mushrooms are the fruiting body of fungi. Here's the analogy. The mushroom's like the apple and the fungus is like the apple tree. It's like an underground apple tree. Yeah. It's just this living, breathing, um, alive thing that, you know, I think we take for granted so often. Um, And it's funny, reading through this book, you start having that Tootsie Roll thing where everything you see becomes a Tootsie Roll. Everything you see is a fungus. Yes, yes. Well, that's what happens to mycophiliacs. They get to the point where they really think that mushrooms are the origin of, you know, human consciousness, everything. It gets very kooky the more you get into it. Um, but it's true that that fungi, which is a, a microscopic organism, of which there are 1.5 million species, so there's a lot of variety out there, and only a small percentage of them produce uh, mushrooms. Most of them, like molds and yeasts, you know, will be single-celled or these tiny little endophytes, that, these tiny fungi that live between the cells of plants. All plants have fungi living between their cells. There's never been a plant on the planet that uh, on there's never been a plant on land that didn't have a fungus living in it or on it. Yeah, and fungi or how do you say it? Well, you know, if you went to um, a, uh, if you studied Latin, you probably want to say um, fungi or fungi, but um, the mycologists say fungi. Fungi. So I think that you know, I mean. Believe it or not, but they're kind of like the cool guys in the room <laughs> when you're talking about mushrooms. So I say what they say. Yeah. So fungi, because fungi. I want to be one of the cool guys. Be a cool guy to um, the, you know. Actually, outnumber plants, too. What, six to one? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. There's many. In fact, there's the only uh, critter, the only living thing of which there are more species is insects. It's insects and fungi are the dominant, in terms of diversity, you know, are the dominant complex life forms. Now, you know, bacteria, there's a lot of them, a lot more of them than anything else, it seems. But um, I'm just talking about the complex kingdoms, you know, uh, animals, plants, and fungi. Yeah. So I just want people to get an idea of the immensity of something that we not only take for granted, but don't often think about or even see. So this giant, uh, you know, over 2,000 acre, well, I keep on thinking mushroom, but uh, yeah, fungi. Fungus, yeah. Um, in Oregon? In Oregon, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it seen? Is it underground? Where does it live? It's a soil. I mean, it's a, it, it, yeah, it's living underground. It's, um, it's feeding on decaying trees and it's actually killing a bunch of trees too and you can see it from the air in that it looks like a big scar covering a mountaintop but that's really just what you're seeing is the 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 devastation that fungus has wrought it's sort of like saying when you see when you have ringworm which is a fungus when you see that you see that red spot but you're not really seeing the fungus, which is microscopic in size, little filaments, you know, growing yeah. one cell at a time. So how does one identify a fungus? Uh, well, that's like saying, how does one identify an animal? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of them, and they're, you mean, how are they defined in science? Yeah, let's go with that. Well, they have, they're, first of all, they're closer on the tree of life to animals than they are to plants. They are multicellular. They have... Or some are single cells, but they have a nucleus. And they uh, can be very complex, meaning they can produce things like mushrooms, which are uh, specialized in a lot of ways. Um, And then they have all kinds of characteristics that are unique. Their cell walls are made out of the same cell walls as shrimp shells. So they're not like plants at all in that respect. and the way they eat, they are actually more like animals. They gather their food, although they don't... Well, there's some fungi actually trap. Um, oh, yeah? Yes. Some, some of them actually trap little nematodes, which are microscopic worms, and they create little lassoes with their cells, and <laughs> then they you know, suck all of the nutrients out of the worm. Um, they are um, extremely diverse, uh, and they... Um, function in nature in really uh, important ways. They are the uh, the decayers in the um, natural world. I mean, if it weren't for fungi, we'd be buried under miles of plant debris. Um, so they have a, a, a very large role in the ha- healthy and happy um, uh, state of the planet. Yeah. Know? I mean, they, they have positives and negatives, though, too. Um, because in your book, you, do, you, you state that, you know, a lot of the world's plagues, ailments, but also, um, you know, uh, alleviations. Uh, Medicine and all that, yeah, yeah. So it has it's kind of like Star Wars with a dark side as well as, well, you know. Well, it's like plants. Yeah. I mean, there's dark sides to, every, or animals, you know, or bacteria. There's sort of, you know, there's things that work for us, but we're just one species, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's a little bit nearsighted to to think that they're to say they're good or bad because because of how they work for us. Yeah. Well, in writing this book, I know a great worry 
uh, of a lot of people that eat mushrooms are <laughs> which ones are safe to eat, yeah. which ones are poisonous. Yeah. Um, you've been foraging your whole life. You had this innate sense, at least, of some things uh, that were good to eat. And, it's not innate. Yeah. It's very specific. Yeah. It's like the diff- it's just like if you're going into the woods and you'll you say, that is a berry I know. That looks like a little wild strawberry. I can eat that. But that berry, I don't know what it is. Yeah. So I'm not going to put it in my mouth. And the only people that do that are like, children yeah so um, uh, that's not true i've seen many adults <laughs> just throw something in. i don't know it's red yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so it's the same thing with mushrooms you know you just you it's important to know which ones are edible you know you don't need to know them all but it's good to know a few and it's likewise it's important to know which ones are poisonous most um uh, there's only a few that are that are going to take out your liver you know, there's only a few really fatally poisonous. They have a very bad rap. Yeah. Um, and they also are uh, prolific. There's a lot of the amanitas that, that are, there's two species that are particularly problematic and um, dangerous, and they are growing under pine trees, you know, all over the country. Um, and those are the ones that you hear about. Yeah. Which ones are they, and how do you identify them? Well, this is not... You cannot use this yeah. <laughs> talk as an identifying, uh, uh, you know, manual or anything. But they are statuesque. One is phylloides, and the other is um, oh, I forget. And the nicknames are uh, the uh, destroying angels, of which there's actually two species, and the death cap. Emily Amanita phylloides is the death cap, and that's kind of the most common one. Uh, it's very tall and statuesque. It's white, and it has a ring. Um, they call that the mycologists call a veil because it's at one point. When the uh, mushroom is small, it looks like a little egg, and it sort of pops out of that egg, and the remnants of the veil of the egg shape uh, tend to, to remain either on the cap or also on the stem. But it's definitely not, you know, this is not a way to ID them, because one of the reasons why people make the mistake is because they look something like the patty straw mushroom, which is really a popular mushroom in Southeast Asia. So in California, you'll have Southeast Asians who were hunting mushrooms and going, wow, this is the pack. <laughs> you know, they get really excited. And then before you know it, their yeah. you know, liver is digesting itself. So, I mean, there are imposters or doppelgangers. That- well, there's some that look alike. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of wives' tales that you should not pay attention to. Like, uh, if it grows on wood, it's safe. That's bullshit. If you put a silver spoon in the pot that you're cooking mush- mushrooms in and it, and it doesn't tarnish then they're safe that's bullshit you know it's just all nonsense all those wives tales yeah well i mean when did mushrooms start getting a bad rap there have been some historical figures who have um fallen ill and passed from supposed mushroom eatings well yeah you know there's well mushrooms have been used to kill people too which is you know like caesar and but then there's been the mistakes like uh the gallo boy you know no sabastiani wines oh yeah he died um, from eating the death cap, so, but um, uh, the uh, oh, I forgot what you were. At. What did you ask me? Again? Historical figures that have fallen ill to. All right, so there's been a few. Oh no, this is what I want to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> they um, people will you know the poison is the number one choice of murder for women. Did you know that? No, that's no, a good thing yeah. to remember. Yeah, um, <laughs> and so don't piss off your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> don't eat the mushrooms when you're in a fight. <laughs> when you're in a fight, yeah. yeah. Um, so they have been used, uh, you know, to kill people, and and that's that that Caesar story. Yeah. Uh, so um, you know, yeah, there is a history for for it. But the real reason, oh, the real reason why there's that mycophobia is in this country is because we sort of inherited it from the English. They have a 
sort of traditional mycophobia. Whereas uh, in Italy, nobody has a problem with mushrooms. They love mushrooms in France and uh, and Western Europe and Russia. I mean, there's in Spain, many, you know, many countries are crazy for mushrooms. It's just a few that aren't, and we happen to be uh, kind of inherited a mycophobia in this country, which is um, a shame. Yeah. Because so, we've got some of the best supplies of wild mushrooms in the world. So in approaching this book, did you want to cast away that, that veil of you know, fear of the mushroom? Or did you just want to educate people of what they actually were? You know, yeah, I just wanted to tell the story about yeah. mushrooms because it was so shocking. There was so much information that I just I didn't have a clue about. I thought mushrooms are plants like everybody. I mean, not when I started the book, obviously. Yeah. I was a little bit further along. But... Um, there was so much I didn't know, and there seemed to be um, such a, a, a huge vacuum of knowledge that I wanted to um, tell those stories. As far as you know, educating people who are worried about eating mushrooms and stuff, eh, I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, if you want to figure it out for yourself, that's great. You know? Well, um, I mean, I have some mushrooms that grow on my stoop every other day, um, but the most fascinating thing isn't me thinking, hey, I should eat those. It's, wow, they, they're up one day, they're gone the next, they're up one day. Yeah. How do mushrooms grow? Well, it, depending on the species, one of the reasons why they seem to come up overnight is because they don't actually grow. They just swell. When a mushroom is a little, um, a little nodule, a little baby mushroom, um, it has all of its cellular material. It has all of its cells, all of the chemicals, all the enzymes it's ever going to have. And when it rains, the mycelium, that sort of network of fungal threads that makes up the the fungus part of this scene, right, um, delivers water to the little nodule. It's almost like a knot of hair made up of fungal threads um, that causes that nodule to expand into a mushroom. So mushrooms are like sponges. They expand. That's why when you cook them down, like a pound only throws off like two cups yeah. of cooked mushrooms because <laughs> they're mostly water. Um, those types that expand. The ones that grow on trees that you see year after year, they're not growing that way. They're growing like we do with new layers of cells, you know, an outer edge of cells at all time, you know, every, every season. So when, when you said you, you know, initially thought mushrooms were plants, and obviously you knew more in pursuing this book, what were the first pieces of education uh, about fun- fungi and mushrooms that made you say, I have to write a book about this? Well, I think some of the, one of the things that really... See, I come from a food writing background, right? Yeah. I've been writing cookbooks for years. Um, and the thing that really blew my mind was the difference between cultivated mushrooms and wild mushrooms. So when you go to a, ma- a restaurant um, and it says wild mush- pasta with wild mushrooms, and then you ask which ones they are, it'll be hen of, they'll usually say hen of the woods, oyster mushrooms, and so on. And those are actually cultivated mushrooms. They are available in the wild as well on a seasonal basis, but they're probably cultivated. And that's because they're saprophytes. They eat dead and dying things, and so they're e- you just give them their preferred food, and they grow and eventually fruit. But they're mushrooms that are truly wild that you only get, that are only wild, are... Um, like Boletus, like uh, Porcini and Chanterelles. Oh, Boletus, which people mainly know as Morel. No, no, Porcini. Oh, Porcini, okay. But uh, Morel is a little bit of a different story. Yeah. It's kind of grows wherever the hell it wants to, so <laughs> it doesn't really count. But for the other mycorrhizae, 
These are mushrooms that grow that what that are the the fruit of fungi that grow in a symbiotic relationship with the roots of trees. Ninety percent of all plants have fungi living on their roots, and so you know this just opened my mind to the idea that um, the lifestyle of the fungus determined what kind of mushroom I was eating and why I was paying when I was paying for them because the wild ones could only be gathered in the wild. Yeah. You can't grow those mushrooms. They're called mycorrhizal fungi because um, you'd have to plant an orchard and create an ecosystem. And God knows what else. Maybe you need to have certain bacterial in the so- bacteria in the soil. You know, the whole symbiotic universe has to be intact for those mushrooms. Well, to like truffles. Um, you know, people think they're site-specific maybe because of appellation or, you know, a control a but they can only happen there because of a reason well and truffles actually are orcharded they are grown they're the only mycorrhizal mushroom that's worth it because um you can make so much money if you do successfully grow truffles and they are successfully grown to various degrees um the most successful farm in the united states is in tennessee right now oh, but yeah. there's numerous orchards all over the country and people are really hoping they get truffles but they're particular they grow underground and they they live in symbiosis with another organism at least one other organism so you know whether it's sort of like doing a fresh a saltwater fish tank you know it's really really hard to pull off and expensive so if the mushroom can't if you if you can't get it if you can get it cheaper in the wild that's where most markets are going to go yeah and that's the deal with truffles and then they're yeah indigenous species to different regions they need different you know ph of the soil and they you know that's it's just like the variety that you see in you know mountain lions or you know dogs yeah so people that want to start foraging for mushrooms, mm-hmm. learn more about this. Um, well, I'm lucky enough to be speaking to the president of, what is it, the New York Mycological Society. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do they do? I mean, what meetings or what groups should they look towards for that kind of education? Well, the, the, the New York Mycological Society, you know, for, for people in the New York area is perfect to join because we do walks in the, um, all during the season. So we're doing walks every weekend now where you go out and you collect mushrooms. And there's a scientist. Our scientist is Gary Linkoff, who wrote the Audubon Book of Mushrooms and is known in the mycological world as the Woody Allen of mycology. <laughs> He's really shticky and hilarious yeah. and extremely knowledgeable. So he's got a book coming out in July on foraging a plant and plants as well. He also teaches at the um, New York Botanical Gardens. So he's really great. He's, we're very lucky to have him. So people who are interested in foraging in general will find out a lot on our walks during the season. And then off-season, we do lectures and dinners and mycophagy events and things yeah, like that. But this has been a thing that's been going on for a long time. Uh, yeah. How was how how the group founded? Well, the well, its current incarnation was founded 50 years ago this year by John Cage, the avant-garde composer, um, who has his 100th anniversary this year as well. So we're doing a big John Cage mushroom event at the Cooper Union on September oh, awesome. 8th. Yeah. yeah, we're working very hard on it. But we have all this beautiful artwork of his, and um, and then there's performances, musical performances, and, and mushroom stories being recorded and told uh, recited by various actors and 
and that kind of thing. Oh, it's very cool. nerdy, but it's really fun. People are going to dress up like morels or no. their favorite. Uh, uh, no, fungi. I hope not. Oh my god! But there's pl- that kind of thing happens when you go to the Telluride Mushroom Festival. Yeah, you know where they're all tripping and they're all wearing funny outfits and dancing around all night long, and you know that's a scene. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've had this in your life for a long time with your family foraging in Westchester. What was the transition to make it serious? What was the transition to become president of the Mycological Society to, you know, write this book and spread the gospel? Um, I just, I mean, I'm a writer. I just got obsessed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just got very tunnel vision about it and super um, excited and really became very, very boring to all my friends. <laughs> and, you know, I was constantly like, did you know? You know, it's just too much. It was very obnoxious. But, uh, I was overcome. I just couldn't stop. Yeah. And so it was, you know, one of the things that's typical of, I think, writers when they get going on something. It's very, um, you know, terrier-like. Yeah, well, your <laughs> you blog, your well-preserved, just... that you've written for the, what is it, Denver Post. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, talking about preservation methods, uh, kitchen ecosystems. Um there's obviously something that you want to do to not only preserve, but sustain these things that are uh, either oversight or throwaways. Um, I mean, it's sustainability in a sense. So, uh, I mean, f- fungi in a sense are a very sustainable force in the world, um, being that they help uh, decompose and create fertile soil for things and, you know, cure things. And so it must have been somewhat in line with that same ideology. Yes, I, I suppose that's true. I mean, you know, my interests are, are, are kind of clumped together. I mean, I'm not into, uh, what does it say? What did you say that you were into? Theoretical mm. mathematics? Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't really, you know, I just haven't gotten pulled in that. Yeah, don't, or, you know, don't. pulled toward fashion or something. That You know, that's just not where my my head lies. I mean, but I'm very interested um, in uh, in nature, natural systems, um, especially as they and sensu- a certain sensuality, you know, I just like to eat. I like to drink. I like to um, make food and consume food. And I like to walk in the woods and I like free food. I like free mushrooms. I like to find lots of them, which is why <laughs> I travel around the world, uh, the country in search of uh, good hunting grounds. Yeah, yeah. that is uh I know you're taken, but the Match.com profile waiting to happen. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> I know what kind of guy would call me yeah. up, too. Like some like mountain man who spends most of his time in a tent like gathering burn morels yeah. to sell to restaurants. But, I mean, you know? if he presented you with the biggest morel you've ever seen... Would I be tempted to sleep with him? Is that what you're suggesting? No, have dinner with him because it would be delicious. <laughs> well, we're actually going to take a quick break um, and come back and actually talk about preserving and cooking okay, mushrooms. Great. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. 
Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here. Virginia Bone, talking mushrooms. Um, mushrooms. Most people think to eat them. We, we talked about a lot of other uses, but let's talk about how to cook, how to preserve, how to create the greatest umami and taste yeah. of these living creatures. Well, it's good to that you bring up umami because that's the the name of the flavor of mushrooms, that meaty savoriness. And and the reason why mushrooms have that is because they have this very high grade protein in them. They have all nine amino acids that make up a complex protein. They're actually a very good source of protein, better than beans. It's just that you'd have to eat so many goddamn <laughs> mushrooms that you know it, yeah. it's, it's probably a little more efficient to have a steak. Nonetheless, the, that flavor um, comes off the fact of this protein in the mushroom. So if you cook mushrooms with protein, you're going to be happy. They're, it's, they're fantastic with all the proteins, including milk, cream, butter. So that's one thing. Then um, uh, uh, when you're preparing the mushroom, uh, it's important to kind of get an idea – Well. See how they're different from each other. There's a lot of cultivars on the uh, market right now. So the idea that you the only way you can cook mushrooms is to slice them and fry them in butter is just a kind of a travesty. It's sort of like saying the only way to uh, cook a tomato <coughs> is to um, you know saute it in a pan and put it on top of pasta. And it's like that kind of analogy. So yeah, I mean, well, there's a breadth of uh, flavor profiles uh, within all the mushrooms. But you were saying before that. Uh, the water weight uh, because of how mm-hmm. a mushroom forms quite possibly might be the starting point of how to prepare a mushroom. Right. So it's, you can expect depending on the, the species about um, uh, a pound of mushrooms will uh, cook down to two cups. Um, the, some of them like the, the Royal trumpets are much uh, heavier and denser. Uh, that's a good grilling mushroom, but I think it's really kind of experimentation is really important because there's so many different varieties and we can't really kind of go through them all right now. But you can definitely um, try uh, roasting them in the oven, um, try drying them and then pulverizing them and then using them as uh, as stocks or as butter flavoring or as, um, uh, you know, in compound butters or to make salts and things like that. Um, they are um, wonderful on top of the stove. I think that when you're cooking mushrooms with vegetables, it's best to cook them, for me, I think it's best to cook them separately and then add them after the fact. Otherwise, I find that the flavors get muddled. You know, whenever I go to Whole Foods and I see those vegetable melanges with yeah. the mushrooms in it, I'm like, oh, God. You know, because you never can taste mushrooms. You just end up with this sort of slightly well, like slimy, said, rubbery too, thing. They're, they're a sponge, so they take on other characteristics after they expel their own. Well, no, 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 they don't. They That's a part of their... The mycelium feeds them water. It's not like, like you can, if you soak mushrooms in water, they're not going to, they, you know, they're not going to get more, more waterlogged than if you soak a tomato. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, 
that whole thing about washing, you can't wash a mushroom is just nonsense. You should <laughs> wash mushrooms yeah. because they can be dirty. Um, if you buy uh, mushrooms from the uh, industrial mushrooms, commercial mushrooms, sometimes they use insecticides. So you definitely want to wash them. And um, if they're organic, okay, you just want to dust off whatever little bit of dirt is on them. And if they're wild, you want to wash them because, you know, who knows? There could have been animals peeing on them or <laughs> they'll have some kind of little critters. I mean, morels you should soak and really swirl in the water to try to loosen all the grit from those little honeycombs and the cap. So that whole idea that you can only gently brush mushrooms is, I don't know, I don't know. And forget the peeled mushroom thing, too. That yeah. is also nutty. Unless you have a big boletus that, you know, some deer peed on, then yes, go ahead and peel that part <laughs> off if you want. But otherwise, you know, it's totally unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, there seemingly are a lot of old wives' tales. Um, oh, it's, yeah. What are some of the other preconceptions of mushrooms that just are untrue? Well, that raw mushrooms are good for you. They're not. They're, in fact, they're not even digestible. A raw mushroom that goes in goes right through you. Um, they, they're they not digestible because of something I mentioned earlier, the cell walls. The cell walls are made of chitin, and chitin is the same stuff as shrimp shells. And it's a very uh, effective adaptation for the mushroom because it allows, when it fills with water, when it starts out a little baby primordia and it fills w with water, those cell walls can expand, but they won't break, and it allows that mushroom to push through the earth, and sometimes even through asphalt. Um, but we don't have it. So it's a great adaptation for the mushroom, but we don't have the stomach enzymes to, uh, to digest it. So you have to cook a mushroom in order to get any nutritional value from them. Interesting. You know, because in Japanese cooking, I at least see when they make a hot soup or a hot stock, even ramen, they slice a lot of the raw mushroom on top, but it's getting steamed at least. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be more digestible and there's plenty of dishes where you don't eat it for nutritional value or I'm telling you now, yeah, yeah. you're not eating it for It's like roughage. It's just clean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have a nice good poop after. But, you know, like the um, por the porcini that's sliced, uh, very thin, the Italian salad with uh, shaved Parmesan yeah. and olive oil. It's delicious, but you're not going to get anything out of it. should be crap And then there's uh, truffles, which people always eat raw. I mean, nobody cooks truffle. Um, there's no nutritional value in it, but that's not why we're enjoying it. You know, it's, it's uh, we're enjoying it for the pleasure i mean i don't understand the pig must have the stomach en enzymes to break down a truffle otherwise they wouldn't be so um although maybe they're not really eating maybe you know this really I'm, gotta poop. I'm bringing <laughs> i'm bringing the the pig thing up because the truffles that we prefer are preferred by swine as well the truffle has evolved to grow underground probably as an uh as a strategy to avoid extreme temperatures on, on the ground, on the surface, you know. So it, this is a mushroom that's evolved to grow underground, uh, but it still needs to release its spore. So what it does is it, it um, when, it's, when its spore mature, the truffle emits pheromones, which attract different animals. Different truffles, there's 600 species, so different truffles attract different animals. And the ones that attract swine also attract us. So I don't know if it's really something, if really the, the pig gets any nutritional value out of it. The pig just wants it because the truffle wants the pig to want it, right? It's like a botany of desire thing. Yeah. The truffle is making the pig dig it up so that it can spread its spore. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a, another a wife's tale is that tr uh, mushrooms have no nutritional value. They do. They have wonderful nutrition. They just don't have a huge amount of quantity yeah. because of that water situation. Well, like you said, the efficiency of eating a steak. 
for yes. the protein. So there's good protein in, in mushrooms. And they're actually, if you want to lose weight, they're very effective because um, they, if you replace, in fact, studies have shown that if you replace uh, um, mushrooms for meat in your diet, you will, of course, take in less calories because mushrooms have very few calories um, than meat, much less, many few, fewer calories than meat, but um, you'll feel as satiated, you'll feel as full as if you ate meat, and that's because of that high-quality protein. So you won't snack and, and all that, so you lose weight without being hungry. So, you know, like, um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, not wasting anything um, in a second, but are there dishes, uh, ethnic recipes even, that substitute mushrooms because of a lack of, you know, meat as protein? Well, I know, you know John Cage, when he was broke, was foraging for mushrooms, and he was eating mushrooms. Yeah. Unfortunately, he suffered from a small degree of malnutrition as a result. <laughs> so I think that it's not ideal yeah. to substitute mushrooms for me uh, as a, a you know an overall um, dietary pattern. But uh, for those of us that have like that are office jockeys, you know, it's a it's a good thing to yeah. to lose a little weight. Um, but there's mushrooms have prepared a lot of different ways in a lot of different cultures and preserved a lot of different ways too. So one of the things that I do is make a, a – I find that pickling mushrooms using the, the, the USDA data that it's available is – it's so intense. The pickling recipe is so intense that it just kills the taste of the mushrooms. I hate those recipes. So instead what I do is um, I do a marinated mushroom, which um, has to be kept in the refrigerator. You can't – water bath can it the way you would a pickle because there's just not a high a low enough ph not a mm-hmm. not a high enough amount of acidity to be safely water bath canned um so but a marinated pickle will hold for quite a while in your fridge i mean at least 10 days and i have plenty that are months old yeah. that are fantastic and that you can because it's mildly acidic you can use in lots of applications you know on pizzas and uh as, uh, on bruschetta or served with fish or yeah you know, i just kind of throw them into just about anything yeah what what are some of your other favorite mushroom recipes and what are some of your favorite mushroom types to cook with well of course i love cooking with wild mushrooms but the the really kind of tender delicate ones i'm i'm crazy for like the uh wild mushrooms in the agaricus family now the agaricus is like the white button mushroom in fact the cremini is also an agaricus this is interesting the white button mushroom and the cremini mushroom and the portobello mushroom are all the same species. Oh. That's all one type of mushroom. It's just the white button mushroom has been selected for whiteness, so it's like a breeding thing. The brown, the uh, the cremini is just all natural, and the portobello is a cremini that's been allowed to mature. And the only taste difference that that I can tell um, is that the portobello has more flavor because spore has flavor and that's you know all that brown powder on the inside of the portobello cap that's that's spore and spore has flavor um i love the agaricus mushrooms especially the wild ones because they are very delicate and very elegant um so i cook them in like kind of old-timey sort of time life magazine type recipes like chicken fricassee yeah (laughs) you know which i think could come back yeah you know maybe (laughs) Um, and then I do a lot of the recipes that are true to my heritage. Um, so I make osobuco with wild mushrooms. Um, I cook, uh, I make 
uh, when I have porcinis, I, of course, dry a lot of the porcini and then use them in soups and stews. Um, and then I grind up that dried porcini and um, put it into butter, which is, like, so good that you just become a knife licker. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's really so ungent and... Um, and then I make salts with it to put on fish. I cook enoki, the very, very, th- you know, the thin with the long stem mushroom you find in the grocery yeah. store. Enoki is wonderful, um, cooked in parchment and steamed. Um, I love to cook matsutake mushroom, which we never get here in the East, but they have it in the West, which is a cinnamon. It's a mushroom that has a flavor of like cinnamons and funky sock. <laughs> in funky socks, you know, it's, yeah. it's really intense. The ch- it's the truffle of Japan. The Japanese pay a fortune for them. Yeah. There's lots. Are those found wild in New York, though? No. Yes. Well, not New York. You yeah. can find them in Cape Cod. Yeah. Um, in the dunes. And then uh, they, and I found them in the Pacific Northwest. I go to a festival that's just awesome called the Brighton Bush um, Mushroom Festival. That's at the Brighton Bush Hot Springs in Oregon. So everybody hunts mushrooms in the day and then sits in the hot springs in the evening. And it's really a very beautiful kind of funky. So I was actually going to ask, is this a secret society, the mycological, uh, you know, sect? Or is it something that's open and sharing? Because, you know, like certain foragers will not tell you where they find things. Are there places in and around Brooklyn uh, specifically that people can go looking for mushrooms. Well, if you the mic the clubs that they're not going to have you join for whatever 15 or 20 bucks a year and then not show you where the mushrooms are. Yeah. And that's what they do. You go on the cl- you get, you join a club wherever it is and they take you on forays and they try to find mushrooms. They want to find mushrooms. Then if you you can go on forays that are open to the public and this is what I do is travel to forays because there's there's not as much territory in the East. You know, everything's locked up in private property. And um, Whereas when you go to the, to the West, there's huge tracks, you know, bazillion acres that you can hunt in. And so when you go on those forays, then the leaders will go out, check out where the mushrooms are. You sign up, you pay your money, and then they take you to the, basically to the area. And then you hunt mushrooms all day or you camp. I just came back from the Sierra Nevadas where we were hunting summer bolites um, about in the Crystal Basin area. You know, camping and hunting the mushrooms. And then the evening they had somebody who was cooking um, fantastic dinners and, you know, Napa wines yeah. and all that. You know, it's not, it's, it's rustic, but it's, these are all bloated pleasure seekers yeah. yeah so i mean then around the world where are the most sought after spots to find mushrooms well people like to go truffle hunting for sure um so they like to go to the piedmont area to hunt the white truffles um the matsutake in or in uh the pacific northwest for sure morels in the midwest uh, there's various good hunting spots there i've hunted morels in henry illinois illinois is a great state for huh. hunting mushrooms uh morel mushrooms um you know there's mm, there's a lot of different ones uh uh washington is great for hunting the psychedelic mushrooms you see people walking you oh especially on campuses <laughs> everybody's like looking for all the horse poops so you're you're actually on. gearing this book towards college students as well that might want to there's some yeah. stuff for college students there <laughs> yeah <laughs> um this book is amazing it's out it's available. Everyone should get it, uh, uh, forager or not. But I also want to touch quickly on, we're running out of time, and have you on as a guest in the future. You have two other books that you're starting to work on, and 
what are they? Because oh, they're just yeah. absolutely fascinating uh, ideas. Oh, thank you. Well, my immediate book that I, I turn in in a year and comes out in uh, twenty uh, June twenty fourteen is called the Kitchen. Currently called the Kitchen Ecosystem from Clarkson Potter. And what that book does is, um, it it really explores the entire cycle of the foodstuffs we eat. So let's say I have a chapter on corn. Um, there'll be recipes for eating them fresh that are true to my palate, you know, this sort of Italian palate that I come out of. So eat some fresh, then there'll be methods to preserve the corn. Um, not every method. I don't think I'm going to dry corn. Personally, it's just not my thing. You can get that somewhere else. But some preserving methods for the corn and then recipes using the preserving methods and then um, recipes using the waste stream, the co- the cobs, um, and then preserving that waste stream and, and showing how to use that in the next dish in a kind of continual kitchen. So there's that. And then in the meantime, I'm researching another science book that takes a really long time for me since it's not really my bag and, you know, I get very involved. So that book I'm doing researching... Um, is on symbiosis um, as the new paradigm uh, in um, evolutionary science. It's basically that interspecies cooperation is what defines life. The trees and the mushrooms. The trees and the plants and the fungi, the bacteria and the animal. And then there's others, you know, social symbioses as well. Excellent. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. Um, And thank you for making me a mycophiliac. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm glad you got to join the club. No, I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> Eugenia Bone, thank you so much for being on. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.